Good morning, Calvary. Right now, we are in the middle of a series called Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. And that series has us today at Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. And what we'll see in this passage is that God is calling us, Calvary, to praise Jesus because he does all things well. So if you have a notebook or a journal and you like to write things down, write that down. That God is calling us to praise Jesus because he does all things well. Now immediately that raises a challenge. And the challenge is this. How do we praise Jesus for doing all things well when we don't feel well? When we aren't well? When we're suffering? In other words, how do we do what the apostles did in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42? Let's read that. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. By God's grace, I believe that this passage that God has for us today will help move us in that direction of being able to praise Jesus for doing all things well, even in the middle of trials and suffering. I think the way God will do that today is by reminding us of three actions that Jesus does well. And what we'll see is that Jesus receives us, Jesus relates to us, and Jesus will restore us. He receives us, he relates to us, and he will restore us. Those are the actions we will see that he does well. And so with that, let's pray and then read Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a soft heart to respond to you and your word? Would we respond in worship of you with a surrendered heart to your will for our lives? That would we praise you in any situation because you are our God and you are with us wherever we go. Would you do that by the power of your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, 
That is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Before we look at our passage more closely, I want to take a step back and look at the broader context and structure of what Mark is doing in this gospel. I think that will be important because it will help us see why the burden of this passage is for God to call us to praise Jesus for doing all things well. That that's the climax when the crowd see what Jesus does with this man, it leads to praise. And that's what it should lead for us. And so I need to preface this by saying the next couple minutes will be a little bit academic. And I know for some of you that might be hard. I know for some of you, you'll really like that. You're welcome. So this is coming from a commentary by a guy named William L. Lane, his commentary on Mark. And what Lane shows is that this section, this part of Mark is an end of a section that parallels the next section in Mark. So he shows us that in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, through Mark chapter 7, verse 37, which is where our passage ends today, parallels Mark chapter 8, verse 1, through Mark chapter 8, verse 30. And in each of these sections, you see the same pattern or a similar pattern. First, you see Jesus feeding a bunch of people. Then you see him crossing a sea. Then you see Jesus disputing with the Pharisees. Then Jesus talks about bread. And finally, each section climaxes with a confession of faith. Someone praising Jesus. And so in our passage we see that climax of praise in verses 36 and 37. Let's look at those. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In the parallel passage in Mark chapter 8, We see that in verses 29 and 30, when Peter confesses and praises that Jesus is the Messiah. So Mark chapter 8, verse 29 through 30, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And so this is important because although in this passage we see something miraculous, Jesus heals somebody, it would be a mistake to simply stay there and not move beyond. Because Mark is trying to have this push us and encourage us to the climax, to praise Jesus because he does all things well. And so with that, let's look at those three actions that Jesus does well. Number one, Jesus receives us, so we should praise him. Because Jesus receives us, we should praise him. Look at verses 32 and 33. 
And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd, privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Jesus receives this man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. He brings him to himself. And the way Jesus receives this man is not like the way a call center or customer service often receives us. Maybe some of you are like me where you've had to call some customer service thing for a big company and it just was so frustrating. Right, you're talking to a machine the whole time. You're listening really carefully to figure out which button do I push, which one applies to me. And you keep pushing all these buttons and you never really get there. And I'm pretty convinced that the reason companies do this is because they really don't want to hear from you. They just want to make it as hard as possible so you just give up and don't talk to them. But that's not true with Jesus. When we call Jesus, he answers. He doesn't put you on hold. He doesn't send you to a machine or to a voicemail. He receives us when we come to him. And we see that with Jesus with this man. He takes him aside from the crowd privately. And Jesus is doing this so that he wouldn't make a spectacle out of this man. Jesus is doing this because he really cares about this man. He loves this man. And Jesus is very different than some modern faith healers today. We see broken people not as ends in themselves, but as means to some other end, usually money. That they set things up in such a way that they get the glory, they get the praise, it's all about them. They don't really care about the sick and broken people who are coming to them. But Jesus does. He cares for this man deeply. And we need to see that Jesus will go to incredible lengths to make it possible for him to receive you. And that's what he does on the cross. Sin should keep Jesus from receiving us, but he goes to the cross so he can freely receive us by trusting in him. He goes to incredible lengths to receive us. And if you understand that, if you understand the gospel, that will lead you to praise him. Like Paul does in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, At the end of verse 20, Paul says, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus cares for this man and he receives him. And he doesn't just receive him. He takes the time to relate to him and understand what's going on. Which takes us to the second action that Jesus does well. Number two, because Jesus relates to us, we should praise him. Because Jesus relates to us, we should praise him. Look at verses 33 and 34. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. When I think about how Jesus relates to us, 
and tries to and understands our situation. I think about a time when I was applying for a job opportunity that I was excited about. And at this time, I remember I told my pastor about it, and he was walking alongside me with, with me in this process, and I was hopeful for the job. I had the interview. I thought the interview went really well. I feel like I nailed it. You know, I didn't say anything weird or put my foot in my mouth. And so I was excited, and I was just waiting for the phone call to figure out if I got the job or not. So the day came, and I got the phone call, and I didn't get the job. I just remember feeling sad and discouraged. And like any good church member, I called my pastor. I wasn't feeling good, so I called him. And I, I'll never forget how he responded. I told him I didn't get the job. And I remember he just responded. He just was so broken. And it, almost, it surprised me. He was almost more broken over it than I was. He's like, man, that sucks. Like, you've been trying so hard. You've been home for this, and now it didn't work out. And that almost caught me off guard. I'm like, wow, like, like he really cares for me. I wasn't... I wasn't ready for it. Why? Why Why did he do that? Because he cared for me. He took the time to understand and relate to what I was going through. He entered my world. And we see Jesus doing that with this man here. He enters his world. Normally, it's a really bad idea to tell somebody who's in pain and who is suffering that I know exactly what you're going through. Usually that's a terrible idea to do. But if anybody can say that, and it be true, it's Jesus. And we see that in this passage, that he takes the time to know what's wrong. He knows there's something wrong with his ears and his tongue, and so he communicates that to them. He's telling this man, I know what's wrong. I know the problem. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to fix it. I have no doubt that this man, in his situation, longed for the day when he could hear and speak. And Jesus longs with this man as well. That's why we read in, this, in those verses that Jesus sighed. If you made it to Jim's funeral yesterday, you'll remember that Pastor Ben actually talked about this. The word in our passage that we translate as Jesus sighed, shows up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8. And in those passages, it's talking about us longing for the day when we can get rid of our broken, sick, painful bodies and have new, restored bodies. In Romans 8, it even talks about creation itself longing or sighing for that day when everything will be restored. So when Jesus sighs with this man, he's in it with him. He's also longing for the day when that man will be healed and restored. I know for some of you here, you groan and sigh for that day. Some of you have suffered incredibly and continue to suffer. And I know for some of you, simply coming here is painful, physically painful. It's suffering. And Jesus groans with you. He sighs with you for the day when you will no longer be in pain, when you will no longer suffer. And for someone in that situation, it's very understandable to want to ask, God, why? Why Why haven't you healed me? You healed the man in this story. Why not me? 
What's the answer? I don't know. I don't know why God chooses to heal some people, but not others. But what I do know is that Jesus is in it with you. And that by reminding ourselves of these actions that Jesus does well, it can encourage us. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus is not detached from your suffering. He's not indifferent to it. In fact, one pastor puts this really well. He helps us to see how do we know that Jesus actually cares and that he's not indifferent. It's the cross. That's how we know. He puts it this way. Jesus takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. For those of you who do know Jesus and are trusting in him, we do know this, that one day he will heal you completely and perfectly. There is a glorious day when Jesus will restore everything. And that takes us to the third action that Jesus does well. Number three, Jesus restores us. And because he restores us, we should praise him, Calvary. Because Jesus restores us, we should praise him. Look at verses 34 and 35 with me. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. Like this man, I think deep down we all long for restoration. For things to be made right. For everything sad to come untrue. And that's why I think a lot of us love shows like Fixer Upper. I know some of you might not know what that show is. And if you don't know what it is, I'm sorry, you've been sheltered. But that show is about this couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and how they help people get their dream home. And what they do is they'll find a home or house that's kind of a dump, You know, it's a fixer-upper, and they'll take it and they'll transform it. They'll restore it. And I think we love those shows because to see the transformation take place is incredible. I love the way the couple or the family that they do it for respond when they have the reveal. You know, they they saw the house before, now they see when it's restored. They're just ecstatic. They're praising Chip and Joanna. I mean, I think sometimes they want to hug them, even kiss them. They're just so happy that it's been restored. I think we love seeing that happen. And the good news and the incredible story of Christianity is that one day, ultimately, that will happen. God will restore everything. When Jesus comes, he will restore and renew this world. And he will restore and renew our broken bodies. Mark wants us to see in this healing how this proves that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day when the Messiah would come. And when he would come, he would bring restoration. Look at Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1 through 6. 
The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the layman leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. As I was preparing for this sermon, Pastor Ben helpfully reminded me that anytime someone experiences healing before the return of Christ, it's never a perfect healing. It's always a partial healing. And by that I mean, for instance, when you look at when Jesus raised Lazarus back to life from the dead, eventually Lazarus would still die. It's not as if you could go to the Middle East and find Lazarus out there still telling people about Jesus raising him back to life. Eventually, Lazarus died. And in a similar way for this man, eventually this man died. And physically speaking, when he died, his ears and his tongue stopped working. And so these healings that Jesus does, they really are pointers to that ultimate healing that Jesus will bring. That when you see Jesus doing miracles, they aren't miracles in the way we normally think of them in movies. But what Jesus does is he restores the world to the way it should be. The way it was always meant to be. And so what we need to see is that this is pointing us and driving us to really say what the crowd was saying, what they may not have understood fully, but to echo in a chorus of song what they say in verse 37. In verse 37, the crowd says, in response to Jesus' healing, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And Calvary, one day we will get to sing that and say that, that Jesus has done all things well, restored everything, healed it all. To close, I want to read how J.C. Ryle comments on this phrase, that Jesus has done all things well. Ryle writes, We shall never see the full beauty of these words until the resurrection morning. We shall then look back over our lives and know the meaning of everything that happened from first to last. We shall remember all the way by which we were led and confess that all was well done. The why and the wherefore, the causes and the reasons of everything which now perplexes will be clear and plain as the sun at noonday. We shall wonder at our own past blindness 
and marvel that we could ever have doubted our Lord's love. Calvary, the good work that God began in you, he will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so I plead with you that you would fix your eyes on him, Jesus the Messiah, the one who does all things well. Let's pray. You are the blessed God, happy in yourself, the source of happiness in your creatures, our maker, benefactor, and upholder. You have produced and sustained us. You have saved us and kept us. You are in every situation able to meet our needs and miseries. May we live by you, live for you. May we never be satisfied with our Christian progress until that day when we resemble Christ. May conformity to his principles, disposition, and conduct grow every moment in our lives. Let your love constrain us into holy obedience and render our duty our delight. If others consider our faith folly, our meekness infirmity, our zeal madness, our hope delusion, our actions hypocrisy, may we rejoice to suffer for your name. Keep us walking steadfastly towards the country of everlasting delights that paradise land, which is our true inheritance. Support us by the strength of heaven, that we may never turn back or desire false pleasures, pleasures that will wilt and disappear into nothing. As we pursue our heavenly journey by your grace, let us be known as men and women with no aim but that of a burning desire for you and the good and salvation of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.